0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, our final Liner Lunch and Learn for this uh, season for the 2021-22 year. And what a year it's been, (laughs) but that's not actually the subject of the learning and lunch um, today. Uh, I thought that what I would do since it is the final one of the year is kind of give um, a recap and a framework, and by that I mean You have the summer now. And in the summer, I hope that everybody will consider doing some kind of reading program, at least a little bit, over Jewish studies. So I want to give a couple of different areas of Jewish studies. Maybe I'll suggest a book or two. But I want to talk about the way chronologically Jewish uh, life has proceeded, and maybe give us a framework so that we can put in our heads when someone says, oh, the time of the rabbis, or the medieval times, or um, Rav Cook, or Israel before it became Israel, Palestine, whatever, we have at least some kind of temporal framework that will make all of this more um, comprehensible. And I'm gonna do that by starting with the biblical period. I don't know what date you assign to uh, various biblical characters, it's disputed, Um, let's say Abraham 1500 BCE, the Exodus 12, 1300 BCE, King Solomon and David 1000 BCE. But as you can see already from that, the Bible is a long chronologically, uh, a long slog. That is, it doesn't all happen at once. And because that is so, um, the reality of the biblical world is that very different treatments sometimes are necessary to understand different parts of the Bible. So as you may know, if you're interested in studying the Bible itself, um, there are literally no end of comments and helps um, and ideas. Uh, For those of you who want a broad conceptual idea of the Bible, I'll make a suggestion. Um, It was written a long time ago, but it's still quite important and and also brief. because you should only recommend brief books. Uh, It's called Sinai and Zion by John Levinson. Once again, Sinai and Zion. And it contrasts two different traditions in the Bible. Uh, Levinson is a professor of Bible at Harvard um, and uh, a very traditional Jew. And um, it talks about the wilderness tradition, that is Sinai and the Mount of Sinai and the state tradition, Zion, that is um, the mountain of Zion. Uh, one is represented by Moses and one is represented by David. And they're two different strands, as you can imagine. Um, and both of them come together to help you understand somewhat the entire framing of the biblical story. And if you want, uh, I mean, there are also there are wonderful introductions to the entire biblical canon. And you can look up on Amazon. Um, James Kugel has one uh, that is very good, so do many others. Um, But the idea is if you wanna study the biblical period, sometimes getting, in addition to reading the Bible itself, sometimes getting a comprehensive view of the deeper themes of the Bible can be helpful to understanding uh, the, um, the different pieces that sometimes may seem disconnected if you don't have a broader framework. Uh, And one of the things that helps all of us is some kind of framework. Um, So the biblical period, however, is divided up into lots of different kinds of books and ideas. And so one of the things you can do is you can spend some reading time specializing in a book or a theme Like the wisdom literature of the Bible, which is books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job, that is in and of itself a fascinating field of study. And you could pick up books about Job being the most complicated, although Ecclesiastes runs him a close second or vice versa, um, about those books in addition to reading those books. And if you've never read Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, I suggest you take a half hour. That's all it will take to read the book, um, but it's a book that you can read for a lifetime. You can't extract the wisdom of it or any biblical book, but Ecclesiastes especially is a wisdom book um, in one reading. And uh, so if you've never read it, then certainly over the course of the summer, you should pick up a Bible and read the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, It won't take you very long and it will give you a lot to think about, a lot, a lot to think about. So, uh, and then by the way, there's, as I said, an enormous, almost limitless secondary literature on all of this. Um, So if you become interested, then you can start picking up books about books, um, about books. Once we move on from the Bible, um, now we're coming into the rabbinic period, between the biblical period and the rabbinic period. I don't wanna say nothing happened. But a lot of it is dark to us. A lot of it is not so clear. A lot of it is speculation. Um, And uh, one book that you might want to pick up in part, if you're curious about that period, is Shai Cohen's From the Mishnah to the Maccabees. uh, From the Maccabees to the Mishnah, rather. Um, And that talks about the very end of the Bible, and the Maccabees, remember, are after the Bible closes. And then the Mishnah is the time of the rabbis and it gives you some of the history of that period between the closing of the bible and the beginning of the rabbis because the rabbis and the rabbinic period are the next great period of fertility and creativity in jewish history now remember that from the from the maccabees to the mishnah what you have as you know from the story of hanukkah what you have is a temple um the first one built by solomon in about 950. We don't know the exact year BCE. Destroyed by the uh, Babylonians in 586 or 587 BCE. Again, still in the biblical period because Jeremiah, Lamentations, talk about the destruction of that first temple. So we're still in that long stretch of the Bible. Then the Jews return under Cyrus, about a hundred years later, a little more a hundred years later still in the biblical period um still in the time of later of esther and daniel which are the last biblical books and then the bible closes by which i mean no other books get added to it and then gradually gradually you have uh, the time of the maccabees with a little bit of an interregnum there we don't know exactly all the things that went on but it's a separate story um and then you come to the rabbinic period which pr- you can date in lots of different ways, but let's say from, the, from around the, the flourishing of Hillel, who's about 50 BCE, okay? Which means that from the beginning of Abraham to Hillel, we're talking about 1500 years from the time you get from the Bible to the rabbis, from the beginnings of the Torah to the rabbis. That's a long time already, 1500 years, and a lot happens in 1500 years. And you would not expect a tradition to be totally continuous without any breaks or problems or whatever in 1,500 years. And so by the time you get to the rabbis, you discover that, in fact, their um, presentation of what the Torah is about is not what you would always think if you just went right to the Torah, because you have this long history of interpretation. In every generation, people are going to be asking questions and answering questions and saying, how do you live? this part of the Torah? And how do you live that part of the Torah? And so since we don't have written documents and since oral traditions are so evanescent, they disappear, right? Um, If you don't repeat one day what your father once told you, it's gone forever and ever, Um, which is one of the reasons why the voices of women are so hard to find because their tradition was almost entirely oral. It's what they told their children but not what they wrote in books or what was recorded. So as a result of all this, by the time you get to the rabbis, you have this long developed tradition that is um, not not continuously recorded. And so the rabbis will sometimes say, I have this tradition. We don't know where it came from. We don't know when it started. Um, And they will say, sometimes it goes back to Moses at Sinai. uh, There's no telling. Um, it's easy to say when a tradition is first written down. It's impossible to say when it was first thought of, right? So when you get to the time of the rabbis, again, the, the, the the great rabbinic pieces of literature are divided up. There is the Mishnah, which is the early code of law, the Gemara, the Talmud, which is the long, elaborate, associative, commentary on the Mishnah and on life in general. And then there are also different books that are uh, books of Midrash, of rabbinic stories and interpretations and so on. Um, Mastering just the rabbinic literature can take most of a lifetime. Uh, And if you wanna get an introduction again to that rabbinic literature, there are many, many, many wonderful books that will help you do that. Um, Introductions to the Talmud, Steinsaltz, Neusner, Um, Many others have written introductions to the Talmud. There are modern introductions um, to the Talmud and to Jewish law that are very helpful. Uh, And uh, if you have a specific interest, feel free to write me, I'll be happy to recommend books um, that will deal with that interest. Uh, But with all of it, um, the idea here is that you can learn, there are also, by the way, anthologies, that are helpful and useful about the Talmud. Um, they go all the way back to a rabbinic anthology, which is an old one, um, and uh, Every Man's Talmud, which is also an old one, um, that give you a sort of synopsis of some of the things that the Talmud speaks about, um, but books on rabbis and the rabbinic period are legion, And they will help you again give a framework to the way in which the rabbis approached the Torah and Jewish law. And that approach was conditioned not only by the rabbi's own nature, but by the fact that in the rabbinic period, the temple was destroyed in 70 CE. And the rabbinic period goes on for about another 500 years, which means that an early part of the rabbis, they're dealing with a a Judaism that has a temple, and then for most of the rabbinic period, they're dealing with a Judaism that has no temple anymore. And you have to reinvent the tradition, reconfigure the tradition, rethink the tradition for how it's going to survive the end of um, the centrality of the temple because the temple was a, was what the world was about. Remember, we have three Chagim, three holidays, Shalosh Regalim, and on Pesach, Sukkot and Shavuot, you would go up, everybody would go to the temple to sacrifice. That was the focus of Jewish life. Once that's gone, it's a dramatic shock to the system and people have to think about how they're going to now live um, Jewishly. So that's the next phase is the the biblical phase. Then you move on to what's called the Ghanic phase and the Middle Ages. I'm gonna sort of collapse them together. and here, we tend some some uh, Jews will will study the period itself, and there are good books, obviously, about the the Middle Ages, the Jewish Middle Ages, um, and the Gaonic period, which is like the you know the seventh, eighth, ninth century, also when Islam starts in the world, and you get a different uh, kind of Jewish population in the Middle East from what you have in Eastern Europe, um, and because. Uh, Arab scholars preserve a lot of Greek learning, then philosophy gets reinvigorated into the Jewish bloodstream through those who lived in Arab lands, um, Shlomo Ibn Gabirol, and Moses Maimonides. Um, while their compatriots on in the Ashkenazi lands in the in the European lands are mostly focused on studying Talmud and Midrash, um, there is uh, a resurgence of philosophy in Arab lands, Um, and also poetry in the golden age of Spain, which is when Spain was under uh, Arab rule. And now we're talking about the 12th century. Um, uh, There is this resurgence of other kinds of Jewish creativity. So if you're interested in this time, you can, first of all, you can study Jewish poetry. Um, Raymond Shindlin, Peter Cole have books on this, Wine, Women, and Death. It's a lovely book with lots of neat poems from Jewish uh, medieval poets about wine, women and death, um, hence the title. Uh, but also you can study the great personalities, the most famous being Rashi and uh, Ma- and Rambam, Maimonides. And one of the best ways of studying uh, Jewish um, history, one of the best ways of studying history in general, of course, if you're interested in it is biography. So for biography, just a moment. Let me grab this. Um, there are lots of uh, Schocken put out a series of Jewish lives. Uh, Yale University Press put out a series of Jewish lives. My uh, high school, former high school English teacher, Barry Holtz, wrote the book on Rabbi Akiva. Uh, a modern one is one that just came out on Abraham Joshua Heschel called A Life of Radical Amazement by Julian Zelizer. Um, in this same series, I wrote a book on King David. Uh, so If you're looking to study different periods, one of the things you can do is take a representative figure like Maimonides um, and read a biography. Uh, And in the Middle Ages, you have this flourishing of legal literature, responsa in particular, that is people would ask questions. If you lived in a town, didn't have so many rabbis or didn't have very competent rabbis and you knew there was a great authority in the next town, you or sometimes your rabbi would write and say, by the way, what do I do when such and such happens? And the rabbi will then write this long answer that gets preserved and becomes part of responsive literature, chuvot, which means answers. Um, so in the Middle Ages, you can study the great commentators, uh, Rashi, the circle around Rashi, um, the biblical commentators who are also around uh, Rashi and his school. Um, and There are English translations of almost all the really important commentaries. You can also check on Sepharia, which for classical Jewish texts is is a godsend. Um, S-E-F-A-R-I-A, Sepharia. It has English translations of the entire Talmud of a lot of the commentators and a lot of the Midrash, a lot of other literature. It has it in both Hebrew and English or Aramaic and English and is a... uh, is a wonderful, wonderful resource for this. Um, so now we're in the middle ages. And as I said, you can um, you can spend an enormous amount of time uh, studying uh, what went on in the middle ages. Uh, a book on the Cairo Geniza will give you some sense of what was going on in the middle ages. Um, books about the golden age of Spain or about Maimonides life in Cairo, uh, all of those things. Help you, and remember, we've gone now: biblical period, rabbinic period, Middle Ages, uh, and then in the modern period, you have lots of possibilities depending on your interests. All through this, by the way, you can study Kabbalah, um, Jewish mysticism, which waxes and wanes in different communities at different times, uh, and and there, um, there are ma- again endless numbers of books. Um, if you're interested in, for example, The Great False Messiah, Shabtai V, you can read Gershom Sholem's magisterial biography. Um, it's a long, long book, but it's a really remarkable one of seven, 800 pages about the story of the greatest false messiah in Jewish history. Uh, but there's lots of other stuff that you can look at as well if you're interested in, um, in the Middle Ages shading into modern times. And for Kabbalah Uh, I always recommend Herbert Wiener's Nine and a Half Mystics, because Nine and a Half Mystics is a book that um, where he goes around the world and he interviews the great Jewish mystics of the world. And so you get the biographies of these individuals and the personalities of these individuals in addition to learning a great deal about Jewish mysticism. And although I have not read it for years, I remember really, really enjoying it and have recommended it uh, a lot. Speaking of books that I recommend and have really enjoyed, uh, if you want an insight into the world of the rabbis, going back to the rabbis, um, and you want it in the form of a novel, you can't do better than As a Driven Leaf by Milton Steinberg, uh, which really does give you a sense of what life was like in the time of the rabbis in a wonderful story. So you can study Kabbalah, and also, of course, as modernity hits, there's the enlightenment, and Hasidut, um, the Hasidim who begin in the beginning of the 18th century uh, in, uh, in Eastern Europe, in Ukraine and Poland and, uh, and all kindred areas, um, again, have a vast literature. Um, here, one of the places you can go if you want the inspirational side of it is to Martin Buber's Tales of the Hasidim or to Elie Wiesel's um, Legends of the Masters or Tales of the, uh, of the Masters our souls on fire. Um, He writes beautifully about the Hasidic tradition. Uh, Many, many others do as well. Um, And and Hasidut is an interesting thing to study um, for the depth of its spirituality, its stories, the way in which it takes and reconfigures Jewish tradition uh, to um, to, to make it accommodate a different world from the world of the rabbis and the world of the Bible. Um, When you move into the modern period, again, literature just opens up even more dramatically. You can obviously study endlessly about Jewish history in the modern period. Um, The most written about period in in Jewish history probably is the Shoah, the Holocaust, books continue to pour forth uh, about that. But but you can also study Judaism in the time of the Holocaust. So you can study, for example, the Pisanza Rebbe, the Ish Kodesh um, who was the Rebbe of the Warsaw Ghetto who uh, wrote remarkable and deep commentaries um, on, on Torah and in Kabbalah, even as the world around him was crumbling. Um, but also you can study Jewish immigration to the United States and the world of our fathers. You can study the creation of the state of Israel, which is a vast... Um, field in lots and lots of different histories of Zionism um, that are written, uh, some by people uh, that we know. You can look at Danny Gordis's books, Rick Richmond's books, um, many others a new, by in, the, in that series of Jewish Lives. There's a biography of Jabotinsky that just came out. Uh, the, the creation of the State of Israel, again, is a fascinating um, topic on its own and and Opens you up to endless um, books, ideas, websites, uh, rabbit holes, basically, um, as does American jewelry and also the jewelry of other parts of the world: French jewelry, English jewelry. Um, what the Soviet Soviet Union? Uh, uh, Gal Beckerman wrote a beautiful book about the Soviet jewelry movement, whose uh, title escapes me for the moment. Um, something and will be gone, I think it's called. Uh, Anyway, Gal Beckerman, if you want to learn about the history of the Soviet Jewelry Movement, it was a prize-winning book, a wonderful book. Um, And I haven't mentioned, except for Milton Steinberg, Jewish literature and novels. So, I mean, I did mention poetry, that's true, but there's Yiddish literature, much of it translated, Israeli literature, a great deal of it translated as well. You can read the great modern Israeli novelists, A.B. Yoshua, Um, Amos Oz, David Grossman, um, and many of the more uh, Mayer Shalev, um, on and on and on, uh, and many of the more uh, contemporary ones. Also, um, writers who are exploring all sorts of questions in Israel, including, obviously, the question of Israel and the Palestinians, but also daily life in Israel and, uh, and what it is like to live in a different sort of land. Um, and then finally, of course, you can read about contemporary Judaism. Uh, you can read about Heschel, about Kaplan, about Soloveitchik, about Buber, um, modern books that pour forth from the, uh, from the presses about, uh, about Judaism in, uh, in modern times and the struggles of Jews in modern times. And all of it is even though very different. It's also a sort of continuous tradition, uh, which is a remarkable thing. So um, when you read, for example, Jonathan Safran Four's Everything is Illuminated, which is just a wonderful novel, funny and, and insightful, and about his going back to Eastern Europe, um, he, uh, you can see that here's a very contemporary novelist telling a very old Jewish story. Um, and uh, the that once you have the sort of broad outline in your head, then you can pick any of the innumerable byways of Jewish learning and Jewish life um, that will allow you to to learn more and learn more deeply and and always to discover new enthusiasms, both individual writers, which happens from time to time. You find a new writer, you read a book, and you go, "Oh my God, I want to read everything that this person has written, um, or music, uh, because all along the way, obviously there are musical accompaniments and, and artistic accompaniments to all of this, Jewish art and Jewish music, although they don't quite have the same continuous tradition for obvious reasons as the word, because um, music wasn't preserved quite the same way, and uh, and and art has changed so much and there weren't the fine arts as much in ancient times, not among Jews. Um, Nonetheless, Jewish artists uh, in both music and art, um, and music and the fine arts are uh, nearly inexhaustible as well. So I'm hopeful that you will pick some project uh, to look at this summer and to study and to deepen Your Jewish knowledge, and Jewish learning. And once again, if you have a specific interest or an area of interest and you want a suggestion, please write to me. I am happy to make suggestions. Um, And and if I don't know anything about the area that you're interested in, I will know someone who does. Um, So as Samuel Johnson said, when someone saw him browsing a library, said, why are you looking at the backs of books? He said, there's two kinds of information. There is information you know, and information that you know where to look to find. And so if you know where to look to find, that's also good. Um, And whatever I don't know, or the people I know don't know, the internet knows. Now that we have the all-knowing, all-seeing eye of the internet, um, we will surely be able to find something that will uh, enrich, inspire, and enliven you in your Jewish journey. And with that, I wish you a wonderful, peaceful, healthy, and productive summer. Take care. See you after the holidays.